Hebrews chapter number 13 in your Bibles, if you would please. And we're just going to continue. I have just a few minutes this evening. And, and uh, I'm so grateful to be home with you. I sure love you and appreciate your faithfulness. Cannot tell you what that video on Sunday night meant to me to get that video from, um, from Albany Park, First Baptist Church of Albany Park. Just exciting as it could be. And I can't wait to see what God is going to do. Eight new people got to hear the gospel and got saved on Sunday as a result of that. Thank you for giving. And I think that's going to be multiplied many more. One man who came, he, he gave his testimony. He said, you know what? I didn't know it was going to be this close to my house. Next week, I'm bringing 12 visitors. <laughs> so isn't that wonderful? And I think that's great. And, and over 75, 80 people drove in themselves, parked across the street at the, at the bank and came into the building. Just a kind of a neat thing. And we're just praying that God will continue to bless. I want to thank you for your generosity giving. And if you gave $8 or $200,000, I want to thank God for everybody who participates. It's absolutely unbelievable. But I'm so happy. And I think it gives us a special joy to give and to participate in a project. And we'll see that in heaven to come. I'm just, uh, I'm certainly believe that, that uh, this is a great time to serve God and to participate in the kingdom uh, cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thank you for doing that with us. I appreciate it. Keep praying for Brother John, Miss Cynthia, and all those who are working with them in that project. And then let's make sure those of us who are at First Baptist Church, we need to elevate our faithfulness to win people in our region to the Lord. And uh, I am not one bit nervous about how that's going to affect us here. We have no excuses. We've got plenty of people within our, our sphere of influence to tell about Jesus Christ. Every once in a while people say, oh, you don't want to do that, it's going to hurt the church. How does it hurt the church when we have such gifted people? And it does hurt the church a little bit. And, you know, it hurts, it hurts a mama to have a baby. <laughs> uh, it takes a lot out of her, okay? But isn't it wonderful to have a baby? And to watch that baby grow and become a productive part of, of, uh, of society. And, you know, we want to have babies so they can become uh, useful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And our church should do that and continue to do it. But we must be faithful. And we ought to feel a little bit of a pressure to say, okay, if, if God is sending 12 families to go help in the initial stages, not all of them will stay long term. But those who are working and willing to drive the 28 miles and two times, three times a week, getting back and forth, Saturday soul winning and choir practices and, and uh, visitation and soul winning and Sunday morning and doing all that stuff, then, then uh, there will be 12 families. Not all of them will stay there. That means, that means some of us need to step up and let's get on a bus route. Let's get in a Sunday school class. Let's build. Let's go soul winning. Let's do something to help our class grow in the Lord. And let's be faithful about the work of the Lord in our place. I think it's just uh, there's a maturity that needs to be home. And, and I think sometimes if we're not careful, we think, oh, if, we, if, we, if people leave, it's terrible. If they go help someone else, that's not terrible. That's the kingdom of God. That's the way it works. And I don't like it. I hate it when someone leaves. I, hate, I like everybody to stay right here. I like to buy up all the houses on Glendale Park and let all my kids live in all those houses. But, you know, I don't think that's usually God's plan for our life. You know, it's amazing when me, Apostle Paul, said, Timothy, you abide still at Ephesus, and you charge some, they teach no other doctrine. You know, two years later, he says, do your diligence to come here before winter. <laughs> he just kind of, he just like, okay, move, stay, go, you know, and boy, the Lord just moves people, and he does it for his eternal purposes. And we want to be with the Lord and what God's trying to accomplish. And so I am so glad that I have the camaraderie and the colleagues that we have in this ministry to do that. And thank you for being and I'm not saying this to blow in your ear. You're spiritual people, and you, you get it. 
and I admire you so very much, and I think we'll be glad when we can do high fives around the throne of God one day and say, boy, I'm glad we did that together, and the Lord helped us. And uh, there's much food in the tillage of the poor. And, you know, sometimes uh, we think, well, we just don't have that, we don't have that. But, you know, if everybody just does their job, uh, there's a lot of things can get accomplished. And everybody does their place and their, and their role. A lot of things can get accomplished for the, for the kingdom of God. Hebrews chapter 13, just a real quick review. Hebrews, chapter, Hebrews is, a, is a book, of course, it's the only anonymous book of our New Testament. We don't know who wrote it for sure. Most would say the Apostle Paul. And if I had to be uh, penned on that situation, I would say the same thing. But God didn't want us to know for sure who it was. But whoever it is understood the Hebrew mind and he understood God. And he understood that he was speaking to people whose lives had changed drastically because of no other reason but the name of Christ and faith in Christ. They no longer needed to, to kill a lamb like they did many years before. They no longer needed to go see the priest in his linen ephod as he came and rode up the scepter and, and burned the incense. It wasn't needed anymore. They didn't have to go to the temple for the, the same reasons they used to go through. Because all the things in the temple and the tabernacle were types and shadows of Jesus Christ. And Jesus had now come. He had died, he was buried, he rose again, and now he offered one sacrifice for sin. But some of the people were struggling. And not only because of the change of their paradigm shift of religion and their faith, but also because of the persecution that they had endured. They had a lot of stuff coming against them. And Brother Lordson talked a little bit about persecution there. But uh, I would say that the Jewish convert had great persecution against them. From families, from parents, from, from inherit they'd lose inheritance, they'd get fired from their job, they would get arrested, they would, they would have, you know, they have grandmothers would be put on the street. Um, and widows were, were coming to the church with groves saying, help us. We, my, my son, my son, my daughter-in-law put me out, and they, I got saved. I got baptized Sunday, and they won't let me come back in the house. They won't let me be around the grandkids, and I don't know what to do. My husband's dead. Can you help me? So they had a lot of challenges coming upon them real quick. And the question beckoned in their mind, is this worth it? And the answer in Hebrews is, Whatever you have to give up or whatever you have to go through to please the Lord, Jesus is better. <laughs> he's better than angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Abraham. He's better high priest. He's a better covenant. He's a better payment of sin. He did it once for all. You don't have to do it every, every, every year or every day or every week. He did it. It was one and done. Everything about it was that Jesus is it. He is better and he's worth it. And that's why you and I want to serve Jesus for Jesus. <laughs> you don't serve Jesus for, for the commendation or the appreciation. You serve him because you get to serve him. That's why the Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ. He didn't say for me to live is, is the ministry. For me to live is, is appreciation. For me to live is, is the family of God. No, for me to live is Christ. He was focused on that. I am crucified with, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but, boy, he just can't, he couldn't get Christ off his mind. And whoever wrote the book of Hebrews is saying, look, whatever you have to go through, are difficult times, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the hardship. It's about Christ. 
well, that's where the Lord sent me in, in that western part of India and go through such a, the frustrating things. It's not, it's not the people. It's Christ. It's not a building. It's Christ. Why would he baptize people and stand there at a, at a, at a, at a place he's baptizing and preach to unsaved people the gospel of Christ and challenge people verbally? Why would he be arrested two times? Not just to come back and get a pat in the back, but because of Christ. And boy, that's the challenge he gave him. And he said, because of that, hold fast the profession of your faith. Because of that, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a man or some is. The reason people don't go to church is because they don't think Christ is worth it. Hey, because of that, consider one another and provoke each other to love and good works. Well, you've got a good friend if you've got someone who will challenge you to love God and others more and do more for God and others. And then in chapter 11, he tells us these list of people who never got to see Jesus in his bodily form, like we haven't either, but they are looking at to the cross. We're looking back on the cross. But Abel, he offered that, that, that first lamb of sacrifice because he believed that Jesus was better. And Enoch walked with God because he believed that Jesus was better. And Noah built an ark because Jesus was better. And Abraham left the earth of Chaldees with Sarah and went on a lifetime camping trip because Jesus was better and lived in a tent their whole life. And they passed it on to Isaac and, and then to Jacob and then to Joseph. And Joseph, before he dies, says, guys, when God brings us out of here, take my bones with you. We're getting out of here. Take my bones. I don't know one to be associated with Egypt. I want, I, want, I want to be associated with Christ. And Moses, when he had come to years, he says, you know what? I would rather suffer afflictions because I, I, I count the treasures of Christ greater riches than those in Egypt. And then he, a whole list of people who were delivered out of the mouth of lions who went through difficult times and other people who had their children yanked out of their, of their arms and thrown into fire and into, into rivers and, and persecuted and sawed and sunder and hung and set on fire. They did it all because they believed Christ was better. In chapter 12, it just tells us that because of these clouds of witnesses, you and I should run our race and lay aside weights and sins. And we had to focus on Jesus and we had to keep on fighting through the difficulties of sin and temptation, and don't let habits and addictions and other things cripple you. Don't get upset with the Heavenly Father who disciplines us and chastens us. And then lift up your hands that, that hang down and your knees that hang down, and, and make sure that you follow peace with all men and holiness. Stay in your lane. Don't fight with the people next to you. There's not enough time for that. You'll lose focus on Jesus if you do that. And beware lest any root of bitterness springing up and anyone fail the grace of God and it spring up and trouble us and defile others. Don't get bitter in your pathway if you're running your race. And all of this because Jesus is better. Chapter 13 is the final exam. In chapter 13, he says, okay, if Jesus is better, then here's how we're going to know. If he's better in your life, if he's better in my life, here's how we're going to know. Verse number one. Let brotherly love continue. Say, well, I tell you what, Jesus is everything to me. You can tell if I love the brethren. 
Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that you're really my disciples if you have love one for another. It's grievous when God's people can't figure that out. Love covers the multitude of sin, and when love is thick, other people's faults are thin. When love is thin, other people's faults are exaggerated and thick. And he says, if you really think Jesus better, you'll prove it by your love. Number two, you'll prove it by your hospitality. Verse number two, we talked about that last time we met, and that's going to be entertaining strangers. That means taking the things God has given you and giving it for the benefit of others. If you make a meal for yourself, well, make a meal for somebody else. If you, if you have a car and you can help someone get someplace, well, use what God's given you for the benefit of others. Don't just live to yourself. If, if God's giving you some, if you've got extra clothes, go through those occasionally and say, you know what, I could wear these, but, and I'll probably wear them in a few months, but, you know, I think Brother So-and-So could use them now. Or let me, get, let me get that to her. That'll be a blessing to her. Use the things God's given you for the benefit of others. And uh, I think this church is, we're not perfect, but I think it's a real strength of our church. In those years of, of um, you know, I think about Johnny Cantrell and Barb Cantrell. My dad came, showed up for a pastor school on a Monday night, drove all the way, and it wasn't pretty uh, traveling with my dad years ago. But he got here, went through the whole service, and stood down here and told Brother Hiles, I got nine people that need a place to stay. And oh, he said, anybody going to do that? And Johnny, look, he's a West Virginia guy, looking over at Barb and said, can we do nine? He said, we can make some room. We'll take them. Took him over here to 35 Highland, Highland Street here in, in Hammond. And my dad stayed with them for, for years, every time he'd come up here. But, you know, that's hospitality. That's using what God gave them for the benefit of others. And, uh, you know, that's learning how to do that for ourselves. Our church has done that for many years. Some of our folks have bunk beds still in their basement from pastor schools gone by. And that's wonderful. That's hospitality. The third way we show uh, that Jesus is better is by how we treat and have empathy and sympathy towards hurting people, those who are in jail, those who have been going through adversity. And then we find that we show, we show our Jesus better by moral purity. That's where God says in verse number four, marriage is honorable and all, and the bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. You say, man, Jesus is everything to me. Your phone, your computer, your text, your eyes, your entertainment will prove it. Don't be a whoremonger. Don't, don't be an adulterer. Keep your eyes pure. Keep your mind pure. I was talking to someone just recently. He said, Pastor, I've gone through a little program with Brother, with Brother Paul Cruz that's helped me have a pure mind. He's helped me wash my mind with purity and things of that nature. And Brother Paul and Miss Kelly have been working on that. He says, it's helped me so much. I can listen better in church. I can listen to singing better. I can, I can, be, I can serve God. I can close my eyes at night without some of the, the guilt and the, and the shame and the hardness that I was dealing with. What's a beautiful testimony. You know that man saying, you know, Jesus got better to me. He got better than pornography. He got better than the, than the lustful desires. I don't want that anymore. And if Jesus is better, that's something we'll deal with. If Jesus is better, we'll live a contented life. Read verse 5 with me, if you would, please. Everyone together, 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. I will never leave thee. 
And, of course, the Bible's telling us here, if Jesus is better, then I'll be content with Jesus. That means I'm not going to let this itch for more overtake me. I'm not going to let my materialism overwhelm me. There's nothing wrong with, with in, my, in my opinion, God put inside of us naturally. Desires, they're not wrong, to do, to have, and to be. Okay, it's inside of all of us. And if you didn't have that, you'd just be a blob. God made us to have something. He made us to do something. He made us to be something. Okay? But those have to be tempered. And contentment is one of those things that, can, that, that, that do that. Contentment is, is really wanting what you have and not what you don't have. Contentment is understanding that God has given me everything I need to be happy at this very moment. I'm okay. Oh, yeah, maybe I would like to be married, but I'm not married right now, but I can be content. Talked to a precious person recently, and they said to me, Pastor, on the way home from church, recently as a single adult, I just cried out to the Lord and said, God, you know how I'd love to be married. But God, if that's not what you want for me, forgive me for making that my goal. And if you want me to be single, I'll do it. They told me that peace kind of came to their heart. You know what? God sometimes waits till we're a moment of contentment. We'll accept what he has for us. I told the story years ago about our little Slurpee story with our son and reminded it was whenever someone got contented, this when we want to do something for them as a father. I think sometimes we need to get it. They said, look, if Jesus is better, then no, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You got all you need. You got him. And if everything you have is lost or or you never get what you want. You still have God. You're a rich person. Verse number six. Can we look at that real quickly? So that we might boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And uh, here we find that if Jesus is better, I will express confidence in him. That I can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Have you ever thought to myself, I can never do that? Oh, no, uh, living on the mission field? You know, you can do anything God wants you to do. I could never give like some people give. You know, listen, you can do anything God helps you to do. Remember that wonderful verse in Philippians 4.13? Say it with me, would you please? I can do all things through Christ. Yeah, I, I would forgive them, but you don't know what they've done to me. You can do whatever God wants you to do. You can forgive anyone of any offense. Don't build excuses and waste time and keep drinking liquid Drano hoping it hurts a person to hurt you. Eat up with bitterness. Don't do that. Learn to give. Learn to, learn to, learn to do what anything God wants you to do. I can't live like this. I deserve to be happy. Find that verse in the Bible for me, would you? Enough is enough. I mean, everybody knows when, whenever it's enough is enough. No, you may not know. You may, you may not know that yet. You, may know, you might need to dig a little bit deeper, love a little bit more, trust a little bit more, and keep on working at things. But Because God will help us. And when Jesus is better, my confidence is in him. That he is my helper. Look at the next verse, if you would, please. Verse number seven. If Jesus is better, I remember them that have the rule over me. And we have spoken unto me the word of God, and his faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. 
I'll close with this tonight, but I would say this, that there's three times in this passage of Scripture, it's interesting, there's references to so many different things, but three times it says that those who have the rule over me. We're naturally somewhat born rebels. How many have a streak of rebellion inside of you, and you're not afraid to admit that? The rest of you are a bunch of liars. Now, come on. Yeah, all of us. We got a street named after us. One way. <laughs> it has to be our way. And if it's not our way, we manipulate till we get it our way. Yeah. So, you know, he says here, remember, and those have rule over you. Submitting and supporting spiritual leadership is a mark of confidence that Jesus is worth it. Well, I would submit, but you don't know my husband, my boss, my, you know, every time God asks us to submit, even children, my parents, oh, or my pastor or my Sunday school teacher. I can just tell they're, they're you know what your Sunday school teacher on the best day of their life are? They're, they're humans. You know what your husband is on the best day of his life? He's a human being. A sinful, fallen human being. You know what your parents are on the best day of their life? They're human beings. You know what your pastor is on the best day of his life? He is a fallen human being. But the Bible says, that's why it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the children. Obey your parents in the Lord. And then he says here, remember them that have the rule over you. He says, I want you to remember, I want you to submit, and I want you to support the spiritual leadership in your home. Now, I, I don't have, I have, I'm one of the most blessed pastors in the whole world because I really, I have a few bullies and critics, but most everybody I know, I love them, they love me, and we're working together. I feel that way very much, feel very supportive. So this is not for my sake, this is for your sake in case you ever serve with somebody else or go somewhere else. But the Bible tells us that we are supposed to submit and remember those who have the rule over us. Look at verse 7 again, if we can. Our time is up. I should stop right this very moment, cut this baloney uh, right now. Remember them that have the rule over you, who, who uh, spoke to you the word of God, and whose faith follow. You follow the faith of your spiritual leaders, considering the end of their current, considering the product of their lives. And he said, I want you to do that. Would you look, if you would please, at uh, also verse number 17. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your what? that they may give an account. They can do it with joy and not with grief, for this is unprofitable to you. And then verse number 24. Read that with me, would you please? Salute all of them that have the rule over you and all the saints. They have at least salute you. So we have a remember, obey, and salute. And I think it can just be remember, uh, submit, and, uh, and, and uh, support the work of God and the people there. And you know, one of the things that spiritual leaders ought to do is we ought to watch for the souls of those who are under us. If you're a bus captain, one of your main jobs is to shape the thinking, the feelings, and desires of those underneath you. Mamas, you're helping your children, shaping their thinking, their feelings, and their desires in, in, in uh, cohorts with what God wants. Every Sunday school teacher, you're not trying to be a, an all-star for your kids. You're trying to help them think and feel and desire what God wants. That's their soul, or mind, or will, or emotions. You're helping them 
get back. How, how thankful I am for church through the years. My pastor has been used of God. My pastors have been used of God to reset my thinking when I got, when I got goofed up and, and how I thought about something. They come back, hey, that's true. That's how God feels about that. Let's pray together.